Welcome to episode 471 of Troubadours and Rockon Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a grand conversation with regular contributor, urban hiker, straight out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Travis Ignatowski. We talk with Travis about how it's going in Philly, Cinco de Mayo, a trip he took to Mexico City, scrap metal collectors and their sing-song loop, Amsterdam, hip and young, gentrification, his shirts, the square mileage of Philly, New York City, and Mexico City, Ithaca, New York, bastions of provincial thinking, global upheavals, and lack of diversity, among other things, a grand conversation with Travis Ignatowski this go-round. We have an EWSA titled This Land. We share an excerpt from an interview with Douglas Christie, theological scholar and naturalist, from The Sun Magazine's January 2022 issue. We have a poem called May Rain. And of course, as is always the case, all of this will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 471 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
this land. Mexico City Blues is one of my favorite books of poetry written by Jack Kerouac. Do you think he would have been a numbskull, cold-hearted trumper? Or a beatnik follower of an Ivy League dweeb like DeSantis? The wonder that stirs in me after sharing some quality company with a person who gets into their car in the parking lot next to the beach side juice bar and on the bumper is affixed a magnet spelling out clear a proclivity to support the empty rigidity of soulless men who use them to gain and maintain misguided power it is so queer i ask about mr kerouac because the prospect of him being one of them is very disheartening. The thought of it is mildly shocking. Yet, it could be. I don't know if he was a racist, a sexist, self-destructive. Well, I think it is somewhat clear that he was indeed self-destructive. Is it the poet and all of our neighbors, family, old friends, that leads them to support such wayward ugliness? You think they are smart until you hear the part of their narrative that espouses God's judgment as a beacon of light unto what is right, or how their ancestors pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, and dresses are only for girls, and that they could understand how provocative books are like dirty, dangerous contraband to be taken out of circulation and banned. This land is your land on a bumper sticker gracing my old seven-passenger van. Would they burn Jack Kerouac's scroll of his human adventure on the open North American road? Let them eat cake while the rest of us lament, wake, and bake, we are divided, though we are so much the same. So I written and I saw it say Bingo Moon is on his way None of you stand so tall Bingo Moon and I get you hands
Zoe written and a Zoe say Bring the moon is on its way None of you stand so tall Bring the moon when I get you Travis Ignatowski. Is that you? Yes. Excellent. Coming to us out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He uh, is... No, I'm actually in an undisclosed location. Thank you. In Philadelphia? Or can we not say that since it's undisclosed? <laughs> it would no longer be undisclosed. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> A subterranean undisclosed location. He's under the ground, as, as uh, it were. And uh, he bills himself as an urban hiker. And we've still been trying to figure that out. Travis has... I thought I explained it quite well last time. Uh, yeah, well, we got a lot of uh, emails to the a contrary. Lot of, a lot of pushback. A lot of pushback on that, yeah. You think, you think I need to pivot? Yeah. we, we and, had then, a, and then walk it back? We had a big, you know, meeting with all the important people on this show. And and at the end of it, we, we weren't really quite sure what you meant by Urban Hiker. And mm, uh, I see. Important. I don't want to air this in front of all, you know, our listeners. Maybe we should talk about it later. Well, that brings that just reminds me of the when you when you asked me to do this again, it was like in January, and now it's May. So I'm, I'm I mean, are you that busy with important people, or were you just trying to like kick this down the road, like you know, like jury duty or or going to the dentist? No, uh, by the way, I like going to the dentist, but it is it is uh, the former rather than the latter. Uh, we have a lot of important people. To interview, uh, you know, I, uh, so, yes. I mean, including yourself, we, sure. you're a regular contributor, which uh, to me is very important. You have been with the show in various forms as various different personas for years. You took a bit of a break. You're back now. And I'm excited about it. Uh, uh, your home base is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, though. Maybe, correct. maybe you're not there now. How's it going in Philly? It's going great. Uh, you know, it's nice and warm here and uh, sort of back to normal. Um, I think the last time we spoke was before Omicron, or maybe as that was getting underway. Yeah. So that was, uh, you know, like everywhere else, that was an issue. But I think uh, we're sort of back to where we were approximately a few years ago. Not Well, actually, that's not completely right. I think certain things are going to just always be different. But, um, you know, we're be able to get out and around. Yeah, but your neighbors still don't like you, right? Well, yeah, but that's uh, that wasn't a function of a, a global pandemic. <laughs> that was a function of <laughs> of local of a local pandemic. A local pandemic of yeah, they, they just don't understand you. You're misunderstood. Uh, yes, I tried to I tried to break through to them, but unsuccessfully. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you do travel a bit uh, with your work um, to different urban locales across the globe. And I know that is you, true. you want to talk a little bit about that at, at some point today. Sure, of course. Um, uh, I guess a recent trip that uh, made an impression on you is, is uh, one that you took to Mexico City. Yes, but that was not uh, a business trip. Uh, that was a, that was a fun trip. Oh, really? Uh, and how appropriate that you should that you should inquire about that on on Cinco de Mayo. Exactly. That's what we're talking, ladies and gentlemen. 
May 5th, 2022. I trust you're dressed in an appropriate regalia for the middle 19th century Mexico. Just a sombrero. And I mean just a sombrero. <laughs> All right, then. Let's leave that there, shall we? <laughs> Yes, maybe yes. I should maybe I should close the shades in the studio. Yes. That's always a good idea. That's why I'm in a subterranean undisclosed location. Are you only wearing a sombrero as well? And I don't have cin- a sombrero oh. on. So Cinco de Mayo, does it mean anything? I mean, your wife uh has a, a, a strong connection to South American culture, I know. Yes. Um she is originally from well Venezuela. she's Venezuela. Venezuela. So and, and there it's Cinco de Julio. But that's actually like our 4th of July. It's like an Independence Day from Spain. And in um, in the case of Cinco de Mayo, it, uh, you know, it, it involves, a, you know, a battle, but the, against the French. Um, and I think it was a more localized, uh, I could probably pull it up on Wikipedia while we chat. Um, but I was looking over some things on about Cinco de Mayo recently, and uh it seems like it's a holiday that's celebrated more here in the U.S. than in Mexico. Really? Um, I mean, among Mexican-Americans and, you know, people who just celebrate Mexican culture, um, which isn't to say that they don't do anything in Mexico, but, um, you know, it's been uh, commercialized like like all great holidays. St. Patty's uh, Day? Yeah. 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 That's... Uh... I think if you talk to someone from Ireland and they look at how we celebrate St. Paddy's Day, it's not the same way as they celebrate it in Ireland. No, it's very somber. They all they all stay in and they close the blinds. <laughs> no, they don't. But they have dinner. They're not it's allowed like, to speak. It's like a family affair, isn't it? More so yeah, than a raucous. More, more more religious. Yeah, yeah. So, how was the trip in in Mexico? Oh, it was fantastic. Um, and I'll give you the little backstory. Uh, we were. We were down there visiting my wife's family, like, well, just her niece and her boyfriend who are on like an eight month, six or eight month uh, travel adventure since they're able to work remotely and until they did because they had sold their house and are deciding where they're going to settle. And we were going to kind of catch up to them in January in Costa Rica, which would have been wonderful. But uh, one of them had an issue with losing a passport and had to come back to the U.S. to deal with it. And then the passport turned up. But long story short, they got back on the road uh, and they had to skip a few steps. And one of their uh, places they wanted to visit on the itinerary was Mexico City for two months. And they got uh, kind of an extended Airbnb situation. They had this uh, third floor condo, uh, which was which was gorgeous. And so we went there and visited them for uh, a week and, you know, my, my mental images of Mexico City, in addition to the negative things you hear about Mexico in general, um, was always like pictures I had seen, would have seen of Mexico City like in textbooks or, you know, when you'd maybe look at somebody's uh, vacation pictures of these grand plazas with um, castles and uh, big government buildings and ornate sort of Spanish influence uh architecture and now all that stuff is there but we didn't see any of it because we were just in this neighborhood that they that they had their rental in it was called Condesa and it was it was gorgeous it was one of the it was is every bit as nice as Amsterdam or uh any or any many European cities I've been to and we just didn't feel like leaving so we just kind of hung out there and went to cafes and uh bookstores and, and walked around a lot and there was a park that we 
hung out in and saw you know musicians on the street and um yeah it was super chill um i mean we did do a couple touristy things we went to uh Teotihuacan, which is an aztec pyramid outside the city and we went to frida Kahlo's house but for the most part we just uh stayed local and um and did a lot of urban hiking basically yeah it sounds wonderful i guess is that neighborhood probably then a middle-class neighborhood would you say or it's 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 you know interesting it's it's uh you're calling me from Brooklyn. It's, it's, it's got a lot of, uh, in common with the uh, contemporary Brooklyn. It's very hip, very, uh, young, you know, a very, everybody there seems like they're 30 or under, um, and lots of, um, art, artistic venues and, um, you know, people from around the world, a lot of it, a lot of Americans, um, although it's not like Europe in the sense that every shopkeeper speaks English. Um, that isn't the case. Um, but there's a lot of, we saw a lot of signs for where you could, sign up for English classes. So I don't know if it's transformed. Maybe have people have been moving there. I think it might be a little bit um, uh, easier on the pocketbook than other big cities. Um, so I don't know what to attribute that to. But uh, yeah, it was, it, it's uh, just like a young, hip, urban neighborhood. And, but is it like a gentrified neighborhood uh, with a lot of, uh, again, people from North America coming in or... Uh, uh, or is it is it just a neighborhood of the everyday people in, in Mexico City? Makes me wonder, you know. I think it's a combination. Um, you know, I don't think it's gentrified in the sense that it was down market at some point, and and then some developers came along and said, "Oh, these beautiful old buildings can be fixed up, and we could turn a profit." I think everything is kind of the same. I think it's always been nice. It's maybe always been sort of a, a garden district of of the city or one of that's not the only one um but it's the one that we were in um but i think there's a lot of expats that are there now and and a lot of the same sort of people that would show that you know chose urban living in the first place but there's also like from what i could tell i was only there for you know a week um you know like regular folk there as well and that have been probably there forever uh and there's this actually there's this i wish i, I should have prepared a a tape of this, uh, but, but here in Philadelphia and certainly in New York and other places, uh, there's people that go around looking for, for uh, scrap metal to salvage. Like if we needed, if we have, when we got, when we changed our water heater, you know, we didn't worry about having to have to lug it into a truck or rent a truck and take it somewhere. You just take it outside your house and people come by in trucks and they take it and they, you know, they cash it in and they do this all day. Well, they have this in Mexico city too. Not surprisingly, uh, and all throughout the day, you can hear the, this recording of a person. If it's a young girl, she's like maybe ten years old, and she's uh, announcing in Spanish all the things that they're looking for. And she's like this endless loop. It, it takes about fifteen or twenty seconds, and she's saying, you know, refrigerators, stoves, microwave ovens, mattresses, all the different things that you can could see. And then she finishes with any other iron that old iron that you want to sell and i guess this is the what the the, uh the scrap vendors in mexico city would do like everywhere but they had you know a microphone with a bullhorn so somebody about 20 years ago recorded his daughter just doing this it's sort of a sing-songy version of just this uh recitation of the things they're looking for and so all throughout the day in mexico city you can hear this like going off and sometimes you'll even you can't even see them a lot of times but you'll see the little truck going 
down the road. But they all used the same one. They just figured rather than uh, have to recite this thing over and over again, they just used this one tape that somebody made uh, quite a long time ago. Um, and now it's everywhere. And it's now it's and it's even percolated up to other Latin American countries and even the U.S., like in Los Angeles, supposedly in some of the Latin neighborhoods, you can hear this because it's all in Spanish. And if you Google, uh, you know, Mexico City scrap vendors, you could find a story about it in The New York Times. Wow. 2016. There's people that have like made like remixes of it on YouTube, uh, which I haven't like fully looked into yet. But um, yeah, there's a lot of just cool little stuff like that uh, that we encountered because uh, our one host has been just trying to absorb the culture and he was like a tour guide and he just took us all around and explained all these things. Another thing that we were we were walking down the street on a Thursday morning and uh, this man just came along and was ringing a big bell like, you know, you saw the school marms did a uh, hundred years ago. And that meant it's now time to bring your trash out. Uh, apparently they don't want you to do it, you know, prematurely so that there's trash on the streets because it's a beautiful area. And so when it's time, there he comes out with this bell and people bring their trash out and they take it. So there's always people home, uh, I, I guess. To... Well, yeah, that's true. That's a good point because well, maybe it might be just for businesses uh, because it was a fairly commercial area. I mean, there was certainly I mean, it was just like New York or or, or Philadelphia or Boston like. There's neighborhoods that completely integrate uh, residential uh, buildings and, and, and first floor shops and restaurants and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, I, that's a very good point. I mean, because people have to go to work. Uh, Unless the culture is a bit different there, you know, um, you know, and you were there sort of uh, still as the pandemic was going on. So even maybe more people were home because of that. You know, it's interesting the way you're describing Mexico City. Mexico City is one of the largest cities in the world. It's huge. Population-wise. I think it's in uh, – I, I mean, this was something else that I, I was researching. Um, and obviously there's an answer to this, but I think there's around 20 million. It's amazing, so, the size. So that's, yeah. And then like, uh, Tokyo has 37, I read. Um, and like when you look at New York, New York in comparison is, is what? seven or eight yeah so i mean in terms of people and i i, I suppose land too you know the uh this the the square mileage or what have you however you uh, yeah square miles uh well new york i, I actually i have this information at hand uh, but it may not be accurate i found it on newsmax but uh, <laughs> philadelphia is about 135 square miles i think new york city five boroughs is like 350 something uh, and Mexico City is like fourteen hundred. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's massive. And it's an ancient city. The, another yes, uh, it, it is actually. I, I strangely enough, I got a shirt in the airport. I wanted to buy some really cool stuff down there, and instead, I bought a shirt in the airport. Um, <laughs> but it's still pretty cool. But it says uh, Ciudad de Mexico, and then it says nineteen ten, which doesn't make much. There's something must have happened in nineteen ten. Um, so you bought a shirt. City is, is you bought a shirt that you, that. You, you bought a shirt that you don't even understand. Well, I, I understand it. It's just disinformation, which I, I figured is very timely. Um, but there, I'm, but there's probably a reason why uh, it says 1910. As, although I, I have a shirt. Speaking of my shirts uh, that I bought in, oh, I got it in the Boston area. We'll start that way, and it says Boston. Uh, it's like an athletic shirt, and it says 1860 or something or 1820. Which, you know, Boston's a lot older than that. And apparently there was some change in the name at some point. 
and then it turns out I bought this thing in Cambridge, uh, at this shirt. And there is a little rivalry between Cambridge and Boston in terms of, you know, historical uh, props and such. Was in Cambridge but, where Harvard is? Yes. And all the Barneys? The Barneys. Right. That's what I, I when I uh, was living in New England, my understanding is that locals in Cambridge uh, would call, and perhaps Boston too, because Cambridge is part of Boston, no, it's not. No, they're completely different cities. No, well, it's not. Okay, my my. Thank you for letting me know uh, that. My bad. Um, Boston and in Cambridge, the locals would uh, refer to Harvard students as Barneys. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Anyway, you're talking about your shirts, 1860. Oh yes. Yeah, so, okay. Well, they, so the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm next because you asked me about you know it's an ancient city, uh, and yes, it's a lot older than 1910. Uh, it was a, a, a city, a, like a developed urban space before, like pre-colonially, like before right. uh, Cortez came over, right? The, I guess the Aztecs um, had developed that. Right. I mean, where it is is just conducive to it being a population center. But even the even the Spaniard, like the, the colonial beginnings of it are, you know, from the early 1500s. Yeah, and you know the the culture there. We often hear about it as a place where you got to watch yourself because if you go there, you're going to be taken hostage or something. If you're a West, you well, know. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's neighborhoods you don't want to go in. Uh, right, but that's anywhere. anywhere else. Right, exactly. And um, one of my favorite writers lived there for a long time. He was not from there; he was from Colombia. Uh, can you guess who I'm talking about? From Colombia, but. Uh, I have a, I could make a guess, but I didn't think he was from Colombia. But uh, anyway, who is it? Well, who's your guess? I was, I was going to say Gabriel Gar- Garcia Marquez. But That's I, exactly he's it. From Colombia? Yeah, he's from Colombia. I thought he was from Peru. I think he's Colombian. Oh, anyway. Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Either way, where he's from, I'll look it up right now. He, uh, he lived in Mexico for a good part of his life. Um, so Mexico City. And you left after a week, you and your wonderful wife, um, what, what, what else did you, have you been doing since we spoke last? Uh, well, or thinking see. about, uh, well, I mean, uh, getting back out to travel some more and hopefully do some more business travel. I went, I went to a, a play, another place that you have some, have some experience in, uh, to Ithaca, uh, yeah. I guess the end, at the end of March, that was my first, uh, Occasion on a campus. Ithaca, uh, New York, if you're wondering, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes. Uh, the home of Cornell, among other places. Yes. That's the reason I went there. Um, and I found it to be very expensive. Like, just to even a, a, a Fairfield Inn, which is a, like, lower budget, a lower end property of the, in the Marriott chain, um, outside of the city was, like, $265. Wow. So I had to find a... I found a, a, an off-brand hotel to stay my one night, uh, but I went right at the beginning of the of the pandemic as well. Like it was the, that was the last trip I made before everything got shut down in March of 2020, and the prices were much more normal. Now I know there's a lot of stuff going on with not just COVID, but uh, supply chains and global upheavals that are affecting all sorts of prices of everything. So maybe that was the reason. Um, probably quite a, a, a surprise. Is that so, and, and compared to other places, because you, you travel, you travel a lot with your line of work. 
Um, I, I, I should, we should just tell people he, he's a gun runner. Um, yes, yes. When I'm not running drugs, yeah. Right, right. I mean, you have to have a, your you head. Yeah, you got you to supply. You got to get those guns around. You got to get them into those blue states. <laughs> you don't have enough. The blue states, yeah. Um, so... So you uh, you say it, it was expensive there in Ithaca for you know uh, lodging in particular, as compared to other places you've gone. No, uh, just as in comparison to to what it cost the last time I went, um, you know, which I don't remember exactly, but I knew it wasn't it wasn't nearly that expensive. So, um, and I think it has more to do with uh, recent inflationary. Uh, escalations than than covid which has been with us because i logically a hotel would would probably try and make it more attractive for people to uh to stay in a hotel right. i mean when they their business was down so much right right but i don't know now um when uh when you when you bounce around to these these places you're you're looking for intellectuals to write for a particular periodical we won't get too specific that's uh, actually not quite right but it's not but that's close enough it's close enough well you know the drug running and, and the uh, gun running we were just kidding folks he's got you know a more i guess uh legal <laughs> line <laughs> yes. of work we don't want to judge as as I know. we just technically it's more legal yeah well no you you're pretty close to the mark um so let's just uh not expand beyond that but yes that's what i'm doing i'm going to meet academics to engage them to do writing projects and um any really indiv interesting individuals you've come across lately uh, with some interesting work that they're they're uh, writing about for you? Uh, yeah, I mean not, nothing that uh, that stands out. I mean it's all a lot of it is all um, very specific. So um, and they're just going about their this is what they do. So I wish I could report that I you know could you know ran into the the chief engineer at Apple, but uh, no nothing along those lines. And you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about the references I've been making today as, uh, uh, you know, a European American, uh, and I'm wondering if I'm like being stereotypical and even maybe borderline racist. We start talking about Mexico City, and I bring up in a Cinco de Mayo, I, I, I say I'm wearing a sombrero, and then we're talking about what you were doing in Mexico City, and I'm I'm uh, I'm saying uh, drug running and gun running. <laughs> you know, you have to. Ref you were referring to my work here in that in that comment. That's true. Okay, so I'll give myself a pass on that one. But my point is, you know, and and you might see this a lot too. And I know you're uh, very reflective to the point of probably driving yourself crazy uh, when you travel around the world and around the country. Do you notice uh, folks not being so open? Uh, with regard to different cultures or being ignorant with regard to how they interact with cultures different than the ones that they know firsthand? No, never. I mean, you know, maybe that's a function of where, of the places that I'm going. But, um, uh, you know, and also that maybe I'm staying within fairly homogenous situations when I get to wherever I'm going. But, no, I haven't noticed that at all. I've noticed that people are pretty... Uh, uh, welcoming to me when I'm the, the outsider and, uh, you know, when I'm traveling locally within the country and I'm in spaces where there's people from all over the world, which happens quite often, uh, it's pretty run-of-the-mill. Um, in fact, the, quite the opposite. I think that every accommodation has been made to try to um, 
you know, not only to welcome people, but to uh, make available uh, things in other languages, um, whatever's necessary. Um, I mean, that's what I've found in my interactions for work and, and traveling in general. I mean, I'm sure that there's, there's variations, but yeah, you, you know, you just, you, you were, uh, were talking a bit about blue States before, and you think of red States and you talked about Newsmax and misinformation, uh, <laughs> My all part topics. Yeah. <laughs> Mine too. And they're all part, uh, for better or for worse of our culture here in the United States of America. And I guess even internationally, you could say, um, sure. and you know, there are folks who are closed uh, here for sure, um, and I'm sure there are people who are closed all across the the, the globe. Um, wh- I mean, but you know, but I don't run into because when I'm out of the country, you know, I'm usually in places where there's tourists or a, a, you know a population center or a capital for some sort of conference or what have you. You're in a bubble. So, well, not well. I don't know if I'm in a bubble, but I'm in a place where interacting with all different kinds of people is typical. Um, whereas I think a lot of the time, when you're in these little bastions of um, very provincial thinking, let's just say, uh, you tend to not be. You have, tend to be in the uh, in the hinterlands of of here or or wherever you are, um, where there's a lack of diversity. And which may, uh, you know, beget uh, the kinds of the kinds of uh, uh, non-welcoming that that occurs, like towards towards the other. Yeah, and well said. Well, that perfectly said, actually. A good analysis here by our resident urban hiker, regular contributor Travis Ignatowski. It's so nice to have him on Troubadours and Rock on Tours yet again. Believe it or not, Travis, we only have a couple of minutes left. So uh, why don't you tell us what you're planning on doing in the next couple of months? We're, we're getting in to spring, and soon it'll be summer. Yeah, uh, well, um, just more of the day-to-day things, obviously. But in terms of getting back out and traveling, uh, we will probably be in Canada in the summer. So that could uh, you know, bring with it some interesting conversation. Um, that's that that trip is in the works so we'll see if that actually happens um and, and uh beyond that you know again like just doing the usual thing locally what about yourself who, who what are we going to have some interesting guests that i can listen to oh we have uh or just uh, those rogues that you grew up with i i do have our regular rogues <laughs> coming in uh for sure such as yourself but we have a lot of uh guests that i'm excited about um and uh, I'm going to keep keep you wondering about about them. But we uh, we uh, myself and Dr. Pavis, our associate producer, uh, we were just talking about our summer schedule. We're very excited about it. Yeah. Um, when up here, I mean, I'm I'm going to be doing my thing too, enjoying my neck of the woods and trying to get out a little bit. Go to Asbury Park on the beach. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I love it down there and uh, up in, into uh, the Catskills and the Berkshires of New York State. Chatham, in particular, and Hudson, uh, those towns, uh, and baseball games with yeah, my, sure. my kids and soccer games and all that good stuff, cookouts. Hopefully, you and the wife and the doggies can come over and visit us, too. Yeah, well, I mean, we've got all that still yet ahead of us, uh, but we're hoping to uh, have a more uh, active summer in, in that regard than 
we've had the last two years. Yeah, us two. Let's make a point of getting together, Travis. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule in your bunker Yes, Some, right. somewhere <laughs> below right. the uh, surface of the earth in Philadelphia. It's really nice to have you on the program. All right. All right. Well, thank you. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Something in your eyes Pretty heaven eyes Closing both my eyes Waiting for surprise To see the heaven in your eyes is not so far And I'm not afraid to try and go with Loveliness and beauty never known before I'll leave it up to you to show it And golden lady, golden lady I'd like to go there Golden lady, my golden lady I'd like to go there Take me right away understand and I'm waiting waiting for the chance baby just to hold your hand a touch of rain and sunshine made the flower grow into a lovely smile it's blooming and it appears to me that you're my dream come true there is no way that I'll be losing
Yes, I would. I said, golden lady, 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 I'd like to go there, honey. Well, if I go to leave, golden lady, I want you to take me a beer. And now, an excerpt from an interview with Douglas Christie for the January 2022 edition of The Sun magazine. The interview was done by Leith Tonino. Douglas Christie is a scholar of Christian contemplative practices. Along with researching early Christianity, Christie has immersed himself in the writings of naturalists like Henry David Thoreau, John Muir, Aldo Leopold, Mary Austin, and Linda Hogan. His 2012 book, The Blue Sapphire of the Mind, Notes for a Contemplative Ecology, highlights points of intersection between 19th and 20th century students of nature and 3rd and 4th century Christian contemplatives. It also includes anecdotes about Christie's personal efforts to establish a more, quote, sympathetic participation in the world. Though he was raised Roman Catholic and continues to identify with that denomination, he credits nature as much as religion for showing him as an adult how to be still, to listen in silence, and to pray. Christie has been a professor of theological studies at Loyola Marymount University, a Jesuit school in Los Angeles, for 28 years. And this is Douglas Christie. For several years back in my 30s, I stopped reading explicitly theological or spiritual texts altogether. Something was shifting in me. I found myself able to read only poetry and natural history and ecological material. I was responding, I think, to a growing hunger to come home to my own body as part of the world, and a recognition that I had been too long separated from myself. I partially attribute this to the overly dualistic spiritual teachings that I absorbed growing up Catholic, the idea that the body and the soul are somehow separate, that the spirit is supremely important and the material reality less so. Such dualistic thinking is not in fact true to Christianity, which is deeply sacramental and reveres the material world as charged with the sacred. Still, it made its way into the Christian tradition, and I absorbed it into my own consciousness. What the nature writers gave me that was critically important was specific guidance about how to pay attention to the living world. This was a turn away from abstraction and ideas. It's fine to say we need to care more about nature, but often, if you ask people what that means, it turns out there's relatively little nature in their idea of nature. We need specifics. What do you care about? What other living beings are in your neighborhood? Is it your neighborhood? Or are you just passing through? Talking this way, promoting basic attentiveness to nature, to place, to the local, can sound sentimental and romantic, like something we haven't got time for in an era of acute global climate change. We're en route to the scary future and learning to pay more careful attention to animals and streams and trees isn't going to cut it. 
or so it seems. To an extent, I agree. Attentiveness alone won't cut it. But even as I'm making adjustments to my life, trying to shrink my carbon footprint, exercising my political environmental responsibility, there remains this other task that I dare not neglect of cultivating intimacy with the natural world that I inhabit. We need to love the world, not in the abstract, but in the particular. We need to love the details. That's where following Thoreau, John Muir, Mary Austin, Barry Lopez, Annie Dillard, Linda Hogan, and others like them can lead us. Reading them, I began to feel my sensibility shifting. I noticed that I was moving a little slower outside, paying closer attention, delighting more in what was around me. Delight has to inform our environmental work. How could it not? Apprenticing yourself to this or that teacher who can help you feel the natural world more deeply and feel yourself in the natural world is one of the great spiritual challenges of this era. I use the word spiritual intentionally there. This is about connecting the deepest part of you to the deepest part of the world. And if that isn't spiritual, I don't know what is. Well, I sold the farm to take my woman where she longed to be. We left our kin and all our friends back there in Tennessee. Then I bought those one-way tickets she had often begged me for. And they took us to the streets of Baltimore. Well, her heart was filled with gladness When she saw those city lights She said the prettiest place on earth Was Baltimore at night Well, a man feels proud to give his woman What she's longing for And I kind of like the streets of Baltimore Then I got myself a factory job I ran an old machine To what she used to be Then I soon learned She loved those bright lights More than she loved me Now I'm going back On that same train That brought me here before 
While my baby walks the streets of Baltimore While my baby walks the streets of Baltimore May Rain Two lawyers and a poet We should be okay Beer and tobacco measure this time of mine away. As each and every day I step into this concocted reality, often framed as the fray. Gone tomorrow, here today, and we are all so afraid. Yet the main rain soothes the circulating frenzy in my veins, inspires some good thoughts from the deepest core of my wondrous brain. What is my mantra, my go-to refrain?
And there you have it, episode 471 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Travis Ignatowski, The Sun Magazine, Naturalist Professor theological scholar Douglas Christie and these musical artists Thelonious Monk Radiohead Nick Drake Jose Feliciano Graham Parsons Ben Folds 5 Branford Marsalis and Terrence Blanchard 2 and of course I would like to thank you for listening until next time Let's do our best with this time. Take care of yourself and others too. Toodaloo.